you will turn into your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 22. It is here together we will read and learn of the very pinnacle of Abraham, his life, his faith. Everything up to his point in his life has come to this point. And it is a magnificent pointing to none other than Jesus Christ. You think at first blush, this is about Abraham and who he is. But in reality, what you'll find is that, yeah, it's about Abraham, but even more so, it's about who God is. And so, when it's all said and done, that will be the question that comes to us, is as we walk out of here, we must ask ourselves, what do we believe about God? Who is he? And how does your life reflect that? And so, as we read this together, let's stand in honor of what this is, as the revealed word of God spoken to our hearts. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham, or test him, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and give, or get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell you of. Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and enclaved the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place far off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together, and they came to the place which God had told them of. And Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, bound Isaac his son, laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven, said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad. Neither do thou anything unto them, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold him, a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Abraham went, took the ram, offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time, and said, By myself have I sworn, said the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless you, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned unto his young man, and went 
They rose up and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. And it came to pass, after these things, that it was told Abraham, saying, Behold, Milcai, she has also borne children to thy brother Nahor, Huz his firstborn, and Buzz his brother, and Kemiel, and the father of Aram, and Kesed, and Heso, and Pildash, and Jidlapah, and Bethuel. And Bethuel begat Rebekah, and these eight Milcai did bear to Nahor, Abram's brother. And his concubine, whose name was Riamah, she bare also Tebah, and Gatham, and Thahash, and Mahakah. You may be seated. You would have thought that it would have been enough for God. After all, it's been now 35 years since Abram first got the call from God in Genesis chapter 12, sounding very similar to some of the things said here. And there he said, Abram, leave. Leave your father, your household, your mother, and in a time post Tower of Babel, when it meant everything to be together and to establish nations and tribes, he said, Leave them all. And we learned that it took Abram actually several years to desert his father, and, and that only after his father indeed died that he left totally the family. He thought it would have been enough when God had separated Lot, his nephew that remained with him, and uh, asked him to be a part. You would have thought it would have been enough when just the previous chapter in 21, when God told Abraham to send away Ishmael, and there he would be a nation, but he would no longer reside. His 14-year-old son, the one that he had held and that he had put so much hope in, and in fact, had interceded before God asking that Ishmael would be the one that God would bless and bless the nations through. But God said no, and he had to say goodbye sending Hagar and his son away. You think it would have been enough that in this latter time of his life, Sarah being old and feeble now, that she would soon die. You think it would have been enough, but it was not. What kind of God do we serve that says to this man who has only one treasured son left, whom he has loved, whom he has watched play, whom he has held, whom he has giggled as his son giggled, who watched in pride as his son grew in strength and was able to achieve, who who he loved watching just sleeping. You think it would have been enough. What kind of God do we serve? We serve a God who in the Ten Commandments, the very first one said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. We serve a God who later on says that the greatest thing you could ever do is to love him with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all his mind, with all of his strength. And what we learn in this story is that when God said that, he meant exactly that. We cannot just figuratively put in our mind saying God is above all things in our life. It must be real. It must be true. And what we're finding is that what God asked Abraham to do, in some degree, he's going to ask every single one of us to do. Not in the same way, but in the same heart, in the same attitude. And so, knowing these things, journey with me, if we could be as but flies on the shoulder of Abraham, and to hear what's being said. God has given incredible, intimate encounters with Abraham. 
many times afterwards, Abraham jumps up with joy at hearing the promises of God that's been given to him, changing his name to Abraham, the father of a multitude. And now for the seventh time, we have another encounter with God and Abraham. And this, most challenging one. You can imagine how it all started. Maybe it was an evening time. Sometime during the day, he gets word, hears his name, and now has come to recognize the voice that comes because he's heard it so many times, Abraham. And so he responds as he has learned, I'm available, God. I'm listening. Here I am. Everything is good as we get to verse 2 until he gets to the end. Take now your son, your only son, Isaac. Well, I thought Abraham more than one, had one, yes. But there is only now one son that remains in which in his elder stages of life all his fatherly love and affection is poured on this one. This is the one that God has said that in him would be the blessings into all the nations. Take now your only son Isaac whom you love. God knows the affection. God knows the heart of Abraham. And he says, take this one that you love, go to the land of Moriah, offer him there (coughs) as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I tell you. It is at this point, the mouth of Abraham drops. God, did I hear you right? Did you say what I thought you said? You want me to offer up as a burnt offering? This had been done previously in Genesis chapter 8, verse 21, after Noah had come and wanting to cleanse the land of the flood and of the evil that was there, he had him offer up burnt offerings as a way of cleansing. We find this in Leviticus chapter 1, verse 9, as well as speaking to a cleansing act that there is a burnt offering. And the chief uh, quality about a burnt offering is that there was nothing left. All that was on the altar was to be consumed in a fire, and the Bible says is to come up as a sweet aroma To the Lord. And here he's saying, God, you you said, my, my, my son, you want me to take a human life and not just any human life. My son in whom I love and whom you've promised to me, the one that you gave to me to be the the blessing. Talking about stress. Have you ever been in a circumstance that when you look at it, you ask yourself, God Did you really allow this to happen? After all, you're the one who said that you loved me. You're the one who says that you have all power. I don't understand because the circumstances seem to contradict powerfully what you've said about yourself. Abraham can feel that. He knows that. He says, God, are you lying? Did you lie to me? Did you lie to me? Do you love me? How could it be that you asked me to give my son... These circumstances do not speak to who you are. And the question really becomes to be in Abraham's life, what do I believe about God? I have always counted God to be righteous. I've always counted him to be, to tell the truth. And now it seems the circumstances are flying in the face. Do I now believe that God is lying to me? Do I now believe that God is not righteous? How can I reconcile the circumstances that I am in with who God is? Listen, these are questions going on. They come to you. Don't you think they've come to Abraham as well? And so, 
He says very clearly, God says, there's a mountain. I'm not telling you which one it is. I'll tell you when you get there. But I've got a mountain that I'm choosing. There's something unique about this place that we find later on. If we go on, verse 3. What do you think you would have done hearing that word? How on earth do you lay your head down for sleep? He may have tried just out of mere habit. The Bible doesn't tell us all that has taken place between the command of God and what Abraham does. But no doubt the same Abraham who interceded on Lot's behalf when, when word came to him from God that Sodom would be destroyed. No doubt the same one who did that probably was praying, saying, God, can you not spare my son? Let me intercede on his behalf. We do not know these things. But that would be logical to imagine that someone would be thinking these things. All that's given is the end result, what happens. I imagine sleep did not come to Abraham that night. And the Bible says early in the morning, he gets up and starts obeying. There's a couple probably good reasons why early in the morning. One, what do you do when you can't sleep? When it becomes halfway reasonable... You start getting up with your day because you've given up on the whole idea of sleep. The other idea or the other thought behind this is, what on earth do you tell Sarah? (laughs) I mean, how do you explain this? You get the idea he doesn't. Because how do you explain to your wife, the mother of this one, I'm going to go on a field trip. We're going to go on a little journey. She says, well, you know, be safe. Be sure to take care of your son. Um, Sarah, about that. Let me talk with you about that. I have no intention of keeping our son safe. In fact, I'm going with the express purpose of offering up as a burnt sacrifice. You don't explain that to the mother. There is no indication that that has taken place. And so you go. You leave early in the morning. No explanations. And there's no sleep to begin with. And notice what's said here. He he gets on it. He starts doing his deeds. He starts splitting wood. He has hundreds of servants. But he splits the wood. The ripe old age of a hundred and plus. He's splitting wood. Why? Because he's learned already that worship is not something you delegate. It is something you do yourself. And so he is taking part, partly perhaps maybe to getting his mind off of things and starts doing uh, the work. And you can imagine what his hope is, is okay, God's not me. He's got a plan. He has not revealed to me all that is planned. Perhaps as I go along, God is going to do something else. And so he does what God has told him last to do and starts preparing for the journey. Goes to the place, the Bible says in verse 4, it takes three days. It's about 60-some miles from the area where Abraham is, is camping at to the area of Mount Moriah around Jerusalem. Can you imagine what would those three days be like? As you are wrestling in your mind, trying to figure out how do I have the strength to do this, and what you're holding on is something that you believe about God. Let me ask you, we, we talk about this in Job. Job says, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. What you have here in Abraham is something even more. It's not though he slay me, though he slay my son, yet will I trust God. 
And that is a wrestling match that is undoubtedly going on in, in Abraham's mind. These things that he believes about, about God, he's, he's thinking, well, you know, how is it that I have Isaac to begin with? It was a miracle of God. Something is up. God is doing something and he's wrestling. But all the while, he is thinking, what do I talk about with Isaac? I can assure you that one of the things he's not talking about is how the sacrifice is going to be on that three-day journey. The reason we know that is that Isaac is having to ask on the way up. And even then, he's evasive. In his mind, for three days, Isaac is dead to Abraham. And he's trying to wrestle through it. And then on the third day, he lifts his eyes and saw the place afar off. Knowing that, he says to the young men that are with him, the, the men there, he says, you guys stay here. The lad and I will go yonder and we're going to worship. Did you catch that next phrase? Look there in verse 5. What does it say? We will come back to you. What Abraham shares betrays something that's going on in the mind of Abraham. We get a hint that he believes God is at work. Something's going to happen because he is telling them, we're going to come back. I believe God's going to do something here. I'm going to go and I'm going to kill him, but God's going to do something. We will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, he takes the firestone and takes the knife and they finish the journey up the mountain, that dusty road as their legs are pounding and their heart is pounding and Isaac, his son, is carrying the wood that he himself will be sacrificed on up a mountain. Isaac starts to think about things here and he asks the question, Father, here I am, my son. Once again, verse 7. Why is that dialogue given? To remind us of the family connection. Father, son, intimacy. And he said, look, you know, you got the fire. You got the knife. I've got the wood. Sounds, sounds good here. I know that you planned these things because you gathered the wood even before we left. I don't think this is a, a mental lapse here. Where's the lamb? Where is it? Notice their response. Classic answer. Beautiful. He says, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. This is a statement of faith that Abraham is taking on. And then they come to the place of which God had told them. And you see it very methodically. Builds an altar, places the wood, binds Isaac, his son. Notice his son given there. To interrupt it, saying, this is not monotonous. This is his son. Isaac is old enough to carry wood up a mountain. He's old enough to resist Daddy, who's 100 plus. We see here an issue of submission of Isaac, of what he's doing. What must Isaac be thinking? Man, you know, <laughs> Dad's finally done it. He's finally gone off the rocker. And he's binding me up. And he's putting me there. And notice, Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife. How does a dad do that? Was his hand trembling as he reached out? Notice the text kind of slows down the details. It's as if we're just living in agony with him. And 
At any point, God could have stopped this. But he doesn't stop it until he finally gets to the very top. And in one second longer, he would have gone to the point of obedience where there's a point of no return. And at that last moment, God stops them. As the point is over the heartbeat of Isaac. Why did God stop him there? Because he wanted to see how far he would go. Listen, I brought the question up, what must Isaac be thinking? Up to this point, Abraham obeying God was simply loving his son, taking care of him, playing with him, and teaching him in the way of God, as the word tells us. But now, for him to be obedient means he has to raise a knife over his son with the intent to kill him. What must Isaac have thought? Two things he knew beforehand. He knew that Abraham loved him. And he knew that Abraham loved God. But it wasn't until Mount Moriah that Isaac knew that Abraham loved God more than him. That is an important lesson. And listen, that is a question God asked Every single one of us. It's not to Abraham alone that he asked that question. He asks us and expects us to love him more than anything else. And I'm afraid that for many of us, when the children observe us and our lifestyle, we realize that God is on the altar and not our child. And we will gladly push away the priorities of God for them, for the children. Or for our own selfish desires. Listen. Every single one of you. Will have to say goodbye. To the person you love the most. Here for Abraham and Isaac. It was done at Mount Moriah. It was done in a very deliberate act. So there was no confusion. As to who is causing it. But listen. It will happen to you. It will happen to me. Maybe not at Mount Moriah. It may be when we say goodbye in the deathbed of someone we love. For some of us, it may be done in tragic ways and seeing the death of our own children. For others of us, it will be when we go to our own deathbed and we have to say goodbye to all those who remain after us. But one way or the other, it will happen to every single one of us and every person that we love that we will have to say goodbye to. This is not a theoretical question that is only applied to Abraham. It is a question that comes to every one of us. Who do we love? God are those whom God has given to us more. Jesus said it in this way in Matthew chapter 10. He says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life will lose it. And he who loses his life will find it in the end. What is he saying? He is saying the same thing that God said that you shall have no other gods before me. He is saying the same thing when God said you shall love me with all of your heart, soul, and mind. He is saying the same thing and is demonstrated for us through Abraham and Isaac. How on earth does a father raise his pointed knife over his son? Well, for one, 
he is focusing his life, his hope, on who God is. That God is greater than his son. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 and 19, gives us a very powerful explanation. It says this, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received in a figurative sense. In other words, he believed that even if he raised or lowered his knife there and he died and his blood was spilled out and the, and the fire was lit and the ashes went up and then all that remained was ashes, he believed that God somehow, some way, could raise him up. How do you do that? You start focusing more on the love and the intimacy of God the Father than even the blessings and affections of your own son. That's all I can tell you in explaining that, how that happens. You say, well, that's extreme. Maybe. Only if you think God's not worth it. What we think is extreme could very well be God's plan for every single one of us. Is he God or is he not? Is he worthy or is he not? And the fact of the matter is, as much as you love your family and your children and your parents, none of them died for you and rose again. And that brings us on to the next part of this story. God stops them. You notice he says in verse 11, Abraham, Abraham, he's not whispering, he's calling out. He says, here I am. Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Listen, God knew what was in the heart of Abraham before Abraham was aware. But in this Mount Moriah incident, Abraham became aware of who he was and who God was and his devotion to him. Up to this point, there has been reluctance and, and setting aside his family. And now, once and for all, he makes a statement, God is worth more to me than even my own beloved son. What we learn from this is not enough. It is not enough for us simply to say, oh, I believe that Jesus Christ died for me. And I walked down the aisle one day and I made him my savior. And I professed these things. When it's all said and done, if you do not have the lifestyle that is consistent with that confession, it's just talk. And here Abraham has made his profession. But now he is making his expression of who God is. Listen. There's an altar in your life. I wonder who's on it. Have you sacrificed God and his priorities for your own desires and passions? Or have you sacrificed your desires and passions, your loves, for God? He says, because you've done this, I'm going to bless you. Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there beheld, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And there he sacrificed that lamb. God stopped Abraham from killing Isaac for one good, important reason. It would have not have profited one thing for him to kill Isaac. Isaac wasn't good enough. A burnt offering was done for the cleansing of sin. Isaac was not sufficient for that. Don't kill Isaac. He is not capable of being this. 
Here, let me get to this burnt offering, this ram. See that ram caught in the thicket? God had already planned in advance. He knew beforehand how Abraham would react. And so this ram was caught in the thicket. He says, I want you to slaughter this ram instead. This ram neither will, will be sufficient for you, but it will point to something else. And notice, you get hints of this as we keep on reading. Verse 14, so Abraham called on the name of this place, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Here you have a prophetic statement that is coming out of this act of worship. He says, something special is going to happen here. Something powerful is going to happen here. God will provide. This ram was provided, but it's not the ultimate sacrifice. God called Abraham to, call, to kill his son. And stopped in the last moment. There are some questions as to, is that right? <laughs> is that right to do? We'll talk about that more on Wednesday night. But here's something I want to bring out. God did not ask Abraham to do anything that he himself would not, and in fact, did not do. God stopped a father from killing his son so that he himself, as the heavenly father, would indeed kill his son, Jesus Christ. It would not be Isaac, but it would be another son of Abraham, a unique, powerful son of Abraham, who was God in flesh, who himself, like Isaac, went up Mount Moriah carrying his wood, of which he would be sacrificed upon. Interesting, as we look in the Bible history, we'll find several powerful moments that occurred here on this same mountain. 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1 refers to this a little bit. It says that it is at this place among these mountains that David, in stopping the death plague coming in, found uh, uh, the threshold, a threshing floor, and there bought that land, used the oxen that was, that was beating out the, the crops, the wheat, and there slaughtered that, land, that ram, the oxen instead, to stop the death plague so that the rest of the nation would not be killed. It is there on the same spot that Solomon would build the temple in which rams and oxen would be slaughtered continually. But none of these things availed. It was not until Jesus Christ came, the seed of Abraham, the son of Abraham, that he walked up that that mountain and there he laid his life down. He shed his blood. There that we find Jehovah Jireh takes place. The Lord will provide and is on this mount that we see Jesus Christ laying his own life down. And finally, we have a human sacrifice that is sufficient for my sin and your sin. Isaac just pointed to it. Jesus was the fulfillment of it. And it's interesting that here you have in that prophetic verse, in verse 14, verse 15, the reiterating of the promise that God had given to Abraham. Look, you know what? You've done this thing. I see how you're true. I'm going to be, be true as well to what I've said. I'm going to swear by myself. There was no one higher that he could swear by. So he swears by himself. He says, you know what? I'm going to be blessing by blessing you. I'm going to be multiplying by multiplying you continually. And, and notice, at the end of this prophetic, prophetic passage in verse 17 and verse 18 in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you obeyed my voice how will all the nations of the earth be blessed because what we have just experienced in isaac points to how it's going to happen in jesus christ and his death on the cross paying for your sin and my sin and so he stopped abraham but he did not stop himself isaiah 53 verse 6 and 10 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers silent. So he opened not his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. That is what God the Father has done for us. What do we get from this? Some powerful lessons. One, God is great. He is great. And he asks of you to love him greatly more than anyone else. What else do you get from this? Trust and obey. Trust and obey. Abraham had a hold on. When circumstances flew in the face of his character, Abraham had a hold on that God knew something that he did not and that God would make it right. That's powerful. It's powerful to learn. And what's the other powerful, important lesson of this is that Jesus Christ is the ram. He is the ram slaughtered for your sin and my sin. And that wasn't just a a spontaneous idea of God. It was planned by God since before the foundation of the world. Here's what I want to invite you to do. I invite you to make God your Lord. Make Him Lord. God perhaps may have put upon your heart someone or something that you are exalting before him. It could be the closest one to you. I just want to entertain and bring to your mind, someday you're going to say goodbye to that person, as dear as they are. And what will remain when you say goodbye? Love God now. One of the best ways to prepare for crisis and the end of time of your life is to live like it now. I invite you to make God great by your life and priorities. Let's pray. Lord, it's hard to imagine what Abraham went through. None of us would ever ask to be in this place. But when it's all said and done, we realize that you do ask us to be in this place. Not necessarily in such a direct manner as Abraham, but in our heart, in our life. We are to love you and to put you first in all things. Lord, I remember the time in my life when you taught me that it's not the same following you and following my idea of following you. As godly as our dreams may be, as good as they are, as right it is to do these things, if they are above you, they become evil. Lord, may you discern in every heart here the difference in their life between following you and following their own idea of following you. Lord, may our hearts be soft. We pray this in your name. Amen.